What's up, Dialed fam? Welcome to episode 170 of the Dialed Health Podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com, which is strength training for cyclists. And on today's episode, I have the founder of LEL Cycling, Ryan Katie. He joins us to dive into the origin story of LEL, which is really not something I do on a typical podcast. Usually we're diving right into some specific topic, but I was so curious about how you go about starting a cycling apparel brand because the thought of making bibs seems like an impossible task, at least bibs that you would want to wear. And I'll tell you that after riding for LEL for over four years now and doing all these custom stores, I'm so confident in their product and I love it so much that asking his expert opinion really meant a lot because I'm using it and I know that he's not joking around when he says he's trying to source the best material. And by the way, how do you do that? (laughs) Where do you source the material? How do you start your own in-house manufacturing? And then what does it look like through the ups and downs of the cycling industry, specifically through COVID? How did they navigate that time and what are they dealing with now? Because there's been so much talk about the cycling industry softening or some type of backlash from COVID and over ordering and extra inventory and yada, 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 that I was really curious on where they were at as a brand. And I'm really grateful that he was willing to answer all these questions. You know, I've gotten to talk to Ryan at events and, you know, through email and over the phone a couple of times, but there's always business to be handled. There's always distraction of something else going on. So this was a really cool conversation for me and truthfully, another example of what I would ask him or hope, hope to talk about if we sat down at a bar had a drink or shared a cup of coffee or something like that. And then we dive into weekly thoughts where I start out with a very powerful testimonial sent by a dialed fan member who wrote into me over Thanksgiving. It is so inspiring and I read it word for word because I want you guys to be impacted by it the way that I am. We also go into updates with the website, things that you'll see on the front end, like the new program filters, what programs we're working on currently, and a lot of other back-end stuff, including personal schedule changes I'm trying to make to really step up my production and try and take dialed health to the next level. So it's a true brain dump. You guys are going to get all of the information that I'm thinking about in my noggin right now. And I think if you're a dialed fan member, this is going to bring you up to speed on a lot of stuff that you could be wondering about. So I hope you guys love this episode. And if you do, please be sure to leave me a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you are listening on. You can also screenshot that you're listening to the podcast, post it to your Instagram story and tag myself, tag Eliel and tag Ryan, whose handles will all be linked in the description. And without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Ryan Katie. Ryan, it's not often we get into guest story, but I'm really curious about how LEL started. So please take me back to the moment where you thought, okay, I'm going to design a cycling apparel company. Well, honestly, you probably have to go all the way back to the start of riding because it's a, you know, knowledge accumulated over the years. I started uh, riding and racing in high school at uh, uh, 16 years old. And uh, then I went to UCSD and, and rode on the cycling team there. And, you know, every one of those stages, right, you're on different clubs and teams and you're using different gear. And so, you know, you're, you're every, every, every year you're getting new gear. And so you're seeing it as you go. And we use so many different companies over the years. Um, you know, uh, lots of them that aren't, aren't, aren't here today. Uh, but you learn a lot about it. And I was always, I've always been very particular about my equipment and notice details and things that other people don't notice. Um, I wasn't the, you know, most physically talented, uh, bike racer, but I did get to a level where I raced on a domestic pro team for a season here. Um, but I always had to have, you know, I, I needed to make sure every other variable was, you know, as good as it could be. Right. 
And so, um, you know, so I always thought about equipment, whether it was the apparel, the bikes, uh, I was very into time trialing um, uh, during my uh, racing as well. So looking at aerodynamics and time trial positions, and I even built a, a pair of custom uh, TT bars with a machine shop down the street from my old, uh, my old bike shop, uh, which was my first cycling business. Um, so yeah, I mean, it goes, it goes way back for sure. And I've always been, I've always, you know, loved it just from a technical standpoint. I've hated it when it hasn't worked. And ultimately I think that's really where, you know, it led me to starting Eliel was that it was really difficult to find good, you know, gear that, that performed and held up over time, particularly in the custom gear, um, for, you know, for clubs and teams. Right. I mean, we would get at, at you know, at, you know, we aren't we weren't a pro tour team <laughs> anything that I that I rode for, right? Where you're getting boxes and boxes of gear, maybe, you know, and you can wear a fresh, you know, fresh jersey every time you, you know, you start a big race or something, right? So we had to make, you know, four or five kits last a season. And, mm. you know, when you're training, you know, 30 hours a week or whatever it was, you know, you go through that stuff. And if and if it's not the best quality, you go through it pretty fast. And, you know, a lot of that stuff would wear out by mid-season. We'd get into the summer. And it was like, oh man, this stuff is not holding up, you know? And then the compression goes, doesn't feel right. The chamois start shifting. And then there was always a lot of, um, you know, just details in terms of chamois not fitting right, seams in the wrong places, it would chafe you. I mean, there's just all kinds of issues. And I, I would just sit there on the bike and train and wonder and just be like, why did somebody make it like this? Like, why in the world would you do this, right? I mean, it's like, do they not ride in it? Or like, how would this get by? I mean, so it always confused me. And, you know, and so that was always in the back of my head through, you know, my my cycling uh, career, both uh, on the bike and then in the uh, in the industry, which uh, uh, started way back as well. What year so, is this that you're having these thoughts? You're using the kits, you're wearing, going through them way too fast. Uh, when, when is this happening? Well, I was involved. I was uh, one of the uh, presidents of, of the UCSD cycling team for, for a season and always involved in the kit ordering there. Um, and we went through a bunch of different companies, saw the process of that, you know, like that's the other part of it too, right? Design and the ordering process is a whole other, other part of the custom business, right? Well, I'm curious on the on the actual year itself. Like, when were you going in your head? Like, okay, these kits are not right. They need to be better than they should be. Like, what I think is I started, this? Like, early to, mid 2000s? Yeah, I think I really started thinking about apparel. I mean, I was always into it, so I was always you know, talking about it. This is yeah, back in back in late 90s and and 2000. Um, oh, okay, from, from 2002 until 2012, I was the owner of Sock Guy Cycling Socks. And during that time is really where I started thinking about clothing because we were doing custom socks for, for clubs and teams. And I'm looking at it going, okay, we're selling a $500, you know, order of socks to a team that's also ordering $25,000 of uh, cycling clothing. I was like, I should be in that business as well. And then mm. my passion for it, you know, and both and socks was limiting. I always felt, you know, like there's only so much you can do to design a sock. Right. And even if you design the best sock ever, the impact is only, you know, so much. Whereas the gear that you're wearing, chamois, shorts, you know, jerseys, outerwear, you know, accessories, there's so many different things that you can, you know, affect the, um, you know, a rider's uh, experience on the bike. So did it feel like you had good timing to make impact because you knew the quality of the kits weren't really up to the standard that you had? Like when you decided, okay, not only do I want to hit this bigger market, I see the sales that are coming through, but I think the actual cycling community needs better product 
Yeah, I mean, really, so when I sold Sockeye in 2012, that's when I really started looking at doing the clothing and, and starting to get serious about it. Uh, my partner at the time at Sockeye didn't want to get into the clothing business, which is, you know, a significant investment, obviously, to uh, to do that. So um, so basically, I went off and, and started investigating how to do it. Um, yeah, I think the timing, I mean, if you look at the timing, right, I mean, there was so much influence that Rafa had at the start, right? Um, I think they came in and really changed the apparel you know, industry and brought a lot of the fashion and, and um, you know, a lot of the aspirational parts of it that I don't think really existed. Um, but then in 2014, if you look at it, that's when, you know, so many different brands, that's when Eliel started. Um, that's when Maps started. If you look at, there's just so many other uh, brands that, that started at that point, right? So we were all kind of looking at it going, I think going like, okay, there's opportunity here. But where we, we looked at it differently was that, you know, we came at it both from, I wanted to develop a brand and, and have, you know, a US based, you know, what I call a heritage brand, right? Like some of the storied brands from, from old, but, you know, there really wasn't a really, you know, high quality US brand. And, you know, and we're in California too. I mean, we have so much to offer in terms of writing and culture and all those things. And I was like, why is there not a brand that, you know, speaks to, you know, uh, to that, you know, uh, to that person and, you know, and so why are they all Italian or, you know, or UK or whatever, right? And so that was part of it. But then also looking at it saying, well, you know, I've, I've always had these custom clothes that they didn't, you know, they didn't last and they didn't have the things I wanted. So, you know, we, we set out also to, you know, to do that in the custom world. And so we were really kind of custom focused. We knew we wanted to do our own, our own gear and sell direct to consumer online, but we started in the custom, you know, the custom, uh, arena first really oh that's so cool because you know from the outside lel does have such a california footprint and of course i'm aware that you guys do uh you have your own manufacturing which i really want to get into but it, i've never thought of it in in those terms you know because we have such a sport that is european dominated uh but then again the West Coast, California has its own cycling culture and some of the best riding uh, out there, uh, which is what I've heard from World Tour pros who've ridden everywhere. And so that is really cool to kind of connect those dots and hear where the influence comes from. In fact, when we started this episode, you mentioned that the whole Palomar line is named after the Palomar climb. That's right outside of San Diego where your guys' HQ is, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're, you're speaking to the quality of riding. I mean, it doesn't seem like it happens as much now, but there, you know, there used to be a lot of Southern California training camps for teams in the winter. And back in the nineties, when I was riding, you know, we had, we had the telecom team would show up um, here, but, you know, this is also home to Chris, uh, Chris Horner, you know, grew up here and rode on my old club Swami's you know, when he was starting out. Uh, Floyd Landis was from up the street. So there was, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, Mount Palomar was one of those testing grounds, right? I mean, your time up Palomar was something that people talked about, you know, and this is well before all the Watts and, you know, meters and everything like that. Right. But it was just, you know, uh, you know, how fast and, you know, when they showed up in town and they did their training camps here, they'd always go out there and ride. Um, and you'd always say, okay, well, how fast are they going up it? And, you know, uh, actually one of the, one of the stories from, from that is when Cipollini came out here and, uh, rode up Mount Palomar and apparently did it in a time that was way faster than I, you know, than I would ever even, you know, probably get close to as a sprinter, yeah. you know, and he's still crushing that climb. So, you know, there you it's have. awesome when you can get world tour pros on your home roads. I mean, I've heard from buddies who live over in Italy, uh, Spain, where they're actually, you know, 
throwing down the Giro and the Volta and all those things, like getting a top 10 K or on the leaderboard in Strava is nearly impossible. So it's like, you don't want too many pros on your local roads, but when you get enough of them, it's really cool perspective. For instance, Nielsen Palace is from my hometown in Roseville, right outside of Sacramento, California. And so any KOM that he has gone for and gotten is by such a long shot. I mean, it's it's not even close. And what's hilarious is that he has some of the gnarliest or the most popular KOMs for the for the climb itself. And sometimes he has multiple linked together where he actually KOM the whole valley flat section before it and went straight into the climb as well. So he didn't even come in fresh. And so when you start to dive into it, it just kind of makes you realize where the level is at for the top guys. It's it's pretty insane. Yeah, with all the measurements these days, I mean, you can really see, you know, watts per kilo and all that stuff when you get into it, right? And it's like, oh, man, the stuff that they're doing at the top level is just so amazing these days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because, you know, we didn't, I didn't have, we didn't have power meters back. You know, I did, you know, we worked out heart rate was the, the most we had when I was racing. So, you know, I can't even compare like when I was, you know, riding full time uh, to what these guys are doing now. So, you know, I don't, I don't even have a perspective, but I'm so far off now <laughs> from what they do. It's impressive. Well, I really want to know where LEL came into the, like, like where the name came from. And first off, can you confirm how you say LEL? Because I have people ask me all the time and I, I just say LEL, people That's say it. allele. Uh, what was the right way to say it? LEL. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, LEL, if you look at it, if you want to break it down a little bit, right. So LEL. Yep. And so, so I feel like you're saying it almost in between LEL. 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 Not LEL. Not allele. LEL. Yeah. Yeah, there's no emphasis on that last L. It's not L E L. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Uh, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's it's a tough it's a tough one to pronounce. So the funny thing about it is it's so it's my middle name. And so I grew up with this middle name that I always thought was this weird name. I never really thought about it. Nobody knew how to pronounce it. Everybody did it differently, right? Um, but when we were naming the company, so my my founding partner, Derek Wyback. Um, we sat down and we were, we were looking at names and, and we were trying to come up with, you know, what we wanted. And we had certain criteria. We wanted it to be a certain length. We wanted it to look a certain way so it would look good on gear, um, things like that, right? But in the apparel world, you know, it's not just cycling apparel that has, you know, trademarks. You're, you're in the larger, um, you know, trademark zone of apparel, right? So everything that you can think of that, you know, oh, this is a great idea. And you look it up and it's taken, right? And you're like, okay, well, there's, you know, someone's got a, you know, already has that. So, you know, we started thinking about, well, okay, you know, designers use their names, like maybe we go some something like that. You know, we had a branding agency that came up with a bunch of names, nothing really resonated. And so finally, Derek's like, well, let's, you know, like, what, what about names? He's like, you know, my middle name is Einer. So he's like, I don't, I don't think that's going to work. He's like, what's your middle name? I was, and I was like, oh, that's Eliel. And he's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And it's got, you know, it's five letters is the right, you know, kind of in the length we wanted, you know, has an interesting in it. And it's got a story and it's interesting and it's always a conversation uh, piece and L E L and he means, uh, L is God. So it's God of my God, right. Is what it, what it translates to, which we translate to best of the best. Right. And so it has that meaning behind it as well. Oh, come on now. That's, yeah. that's amazing story. I love that. I had no idea. And I think that's cool that you found a balance of connecting it to you without it being such uh personal branding that you could never like escape it <laughs> you know right, and exactly. I, cuz i felt very happy i think even having dialed health opposed to like Derek Teal training or something 
it allows more opportunities in the future. And maybe it does lead to some confusion at some point, but I think it does open up more potential long-term. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, it, you know, it's not about me, you know, I mean, it is, but it's not. Um, And so there's a whole team here, right? I mean, nobody can do it on their own. And there's so many people to, you know, that participated in this from my founding partner, Derek, to my other partner, Matt Vesica, you know, helped, you know, get this thing started. And then everyone that came, that has come in, you know, the people doing the, the art early on, our first production manager, you know, all these people that have come along and added you know, their expertise and their, their piece to it. Right. So yeah, it's not, you know, I mean, it wouldn't feel right for me to, you know, Oh, Ryan Katie cycling apparel. Like that's, you know, (laughs) you know, that, that wouldn't feel right to me. And so when you in 2014 started LEL, then what was the first product that you made? I just feel like this is an impossible task from an outsider perspective, it's like, okay, where the heck do you source this stuff? How do you start? How much do you have to invest to get started? Uh, it, it just seems like such an undertaking. So I'm, I'm curious about that process and the first item that you chose to start with. Yeah. I mean, the first item, obviously bibs and Jersey, you know, uh, the original Laguna Seca bib shorts and our, uh, Rincon Jersey, which has now been, now been retired and moved into what's called our Laguna Seca, um, endurance Jersey. But those were the first two products, but in order to do custom products, you have to have a minimum viable line, right? You have to have a vest, you have to have arm warmers. So we kind of had to get, you know, all of those pieces out as, you know, at one time, which was, you know, very difficult. And yeah, I mean, you know, we did, I did a lot of research before we actually started in 2014. So, you know, I was going and visiting manufacturers all over the world to see kind of like what the options were to, to manufacture. Um, you know, I found the people who had the, you know, eventually, you know, the printing equipment, the, the presses, you know, the sewing equipment, you know, the laser cutters that we use, you know, and to get involved in that. But that's kind of after, you know, we said, look, I, you know, I don't really want to be traveling all over the world all the time. I really want to be hands-on in terms of the development. I don't want to just go and to, you know, X manufacturer and say, Hey man, give me a bib short. What do you got? You know, mm-hmm. or even tell them, Oh, we'll tweak this or that, you know, and then that's their product. Right. I mean, I really want to get into it and, and understand like, you know, I go and look at all the different fabrics, right. I go to the, I go to the fabric mills and look at all the different fabrics and get all that information, all the different trims, you know, and we build prototypes and we test. And that was, you know, uh, the start of the startup, you know, of it was, was pretty crazy. The, the prototyping. I mean, if you, if you look back, I mean, it's kind of part of it was because we didn't know what we were doing. Right. I mean, we had, we, you know, we knew what we wanted to get to. I did a lot of research in terms of trying other people's gear, right. And figuring out the things that I really did like. And, you know, I didn't just sit and say, okay, these are the custom you know brands that I've used in the past. I went out and bought stuff from every top brand and went and rode in it. And, you know, I was training a ton back then. It was like four or five, about six hour rides because you don't know, you don't really know how something performs until you're in it for four or five hours. That's Mm -hmm. the reality. Everything feels good for an hour or two hours. But when you start doing those longer rides and so thankfully I like doing that as well. So, (laughs) um, so that wasn't, wasn't too much of a a problem for me, but, um, but no, it was just a lot of time studying that stuff and then, you know, and then finding the right suppliers. 
but you know, then I was looking around, you know, about how we were going to manufacture this stuff. And I just didn't, didn't feel like, I mean, I had, you know, um, young family and I didn't want to be in, in Asia, you know, all the time. And in order to really develop the product, you have to be at the factory, you know, a pretty good, good amount of time. And I just wasn't, I didn't want to do that. So we looked at really like, okay, well, can we make it here? Like, why couldn't we do that here? Just import the fabrics and do everything else here. Um, and we figured out, you know, we got a, got at least to a metric where we thought, okay, we can make this work. And that's what we, that's what we did. So you did that from the start. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I went to, you know, I went to Eastern Europe, I went to Asia, um, you know, uh, to different factories. And, and so, you know, looked at all those things. I looked, talked to local manufacturers and, you know, it's just clear to me from the start one, in order to do custom, if you're going to really do custom and so many larger companies have tried custom and not been able to make it work because they don't own their manufacturing. If you don't own your manufacturing, mm. custom, you just get kicked around because the orders are so small and the, these other factories are not set up to do smaller runs. And, you know, I mean, it's very labor intensive. I mean, I don't blame them. <laughs> it's a hard, yeah. it's a hard business, but you know, that was, that was the, the route we wanted to take. So, um, you know, so that played into it as well, being able to control everything. Right. So, I mean, if we're, if we're late on an order, man, it's our fault. You know, it's not, you know, it's not, you know, a, a factory somewhere that we can't adjust. Right. If we make a mistake, like we can fix it. Like when we do repairs on our stuff, it's the same people that made it are doing the repairs. Right. But when you're that, you know, when you're that into the details, that's really where you learn. And then that's how the product development happens. Right. You take those, you take those things you learn and, you know, and you keep improving on it. I just got to acknowledge the accountability that I'm hearing. First off, I love that you even make the point that, hey, you know, if it's late, it's because it's on us. We're dealing with our own manufacturing. Um, and there's a lot of benefits to doing it that way as well. But also, even in the beginning, you don't shy away from talking about other brands. You said Rafa has had a huge impact on the uh, cycling apparel uh, like in, in general. Other brands like MAP have started around the same time you have. And I just got to say, it's really cool to hear you talk openly and freely about it. I think it adds so much trust because there are times you talk to business owners who are so afraid to even mention a competitor's name. So I just had to even say, I think that's really cool that you even bring that stuff up. And oh, it's totally. good to know why you really focused on the in-house ma manufacturing was to make sure the quality control was there, but also to hit a part of the market for these orders, which, you know, it's like a, even like a, a dialed health custom team order. Like it's, it's substantial, you know, we're doing, uh, I think our last kit order had like 175 items sold, but it's, again, it's not like this monster order that, uh, and I'm sure you got to get a lot of everything in between as well. So it's cool that you can actually fulfill those. Like for me, it's been amazing to see the dialed fam rocking, uh, my logo on their kits alongside your guys's. So yeah. yeah, thanks for doing it that way. And it's cool to hear about that process. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, the, the pride that you take, right, of having your name on it, you know, is kind of the same thing for us when we see our kits rolling around. And, you know, the, I mean, every every custom client is a collaboration, right? I mean, so we get to collaborate with so many different, you know, people in the industry. And, you know, I think when we started too, like that was one of the interesting things that I was really frustrated about in the custom world was the design aspect of it. You know, I, you know, did number of kits for my old company, Sockeye and, and you know, various teams. And 
been through that art design process. And it was always really difficult. You know, I'm not a designer myself, right? I know what I like. I think I have reasonable taste. I think that's where the brand comes from, but I'm not the one that actually comes up with this stuff, right? So, you know, I, I point people in a direction and then you got to have someone who's skilled and that's what we, you know, we employ true artists, right? I mean, we're not just sending this stuff over to somebody who's like, doing the bare minimum to get you through the system and, and churning it out. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like going to a creative agency when you're working with us, we have an account manager, you know, we have a, we have an artist, you do a kickoff meeting, you've, you've experienced this. Right. And yeah. we try, you know, we try and take that time and get to the, okay, what, you know, what is your team about? Like, what are the colors you like? What's the feeling you like? Like, what does your team do and get into those details. And ultimately if you can do that, that's when that creativity comes out. And that's when those great designs come out. And I'm always blown away. Like when I'm when I'm down in our finishing area and there's there's piles of, you know, of, of gear going through that they're doing the final checks on because we're big enough now where I don't get to see all the designs, you know, going through, of course. Um, but I look at them. And I'm just like, man, the creativity, you know, of our staff is just amazing. So, you know, big, big shout out to our team. They do an amazing job. And, you know, and it's great to hear when, you know, the, the pride that people take that you take, you know, in those kits. I mean, it, it's our reputation every time we put a kit out. We view it as our reputation as well. If we don't make that kit look good, then, you know, I feel like that's on us. Even if, you know, mm. even if a client directs us in a way that, you know, we're not, you know, we wouldn't normally go. Um, it's really on us to either make that work or just to steer them in a different direction and try and get them back to where, you know, to that, to that, where, where we think that kit looks, uh, looks good. So you started with this custom uh, approach. You made enough items to actually fulfill uh, what a whole team store would be. You talked about the bibs, jersey, vest, arm warmers. And I want to ask about the transition into selling individual items after that. Uh, yeah. But I am really curious about your research, especially with bibs. When you started looking into bibs and how they're made, was there anything about a bib that you had no idea was going on that's absolutely crucial for it to be uh, up to par with your standards. Like what, what did you learn in that? Cause I have a feeling there's so much technology into a bib that people don't even uh, like, like we take for granted, you know? Yeah, for sure. No, it's the trickiest item. It's the trickiest piece of gear uh, to make. And it, it all comes down to the chamois, you know, the, the patterning and, and how it holds the chamois. Um, that's the hardest thing. I mean, just sewing those things in is extremely difficult and super skilled. And so that was really, you know, in the custom world, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm riding behind a rider and I can see the chamois all the way up the back of the short. Mm -hmm. And that's the part you're supposed to be sitting on, right? So you know, basically, you know, I mean, it goes, if you look at it, you know, it, the chamois basically are the shape of the saddle, right? If the chamois not sitting on the saddle right on top, the same shape on top of that, then it's not in the right place. And that's really one of the things, particularly in custom, that that we found is that, you know, a lot of those chamois are not set correctly. So if they're too mm. far back, your sit bones aren't even sitting on the pad. They're actually straddling that front section that's supposed to be, you know, in between your legs. So, you know, and I mean, even in the pro ranks, you look at, you know, you watch riders time trial and they're in the time trial position, right? And you'll see these pads up their back. And I'm just like, these guys are the best in the world and someone's still messing up the pad placement on it, right? Mm. So, you know, that's something that was just, you know, key from the start. But, you know, from there you have to have, you know, we didn't reinvent the wheel, you know, with, with our original bib short, um, you know, but we did all the details right. And that's what I found, like when I was testing everybody else's stuff, there always was something that I didn't like. There was always something that was like, 
I wouldn't do it that way. I got to figure out a better way to do that. Right. But there was always something really good, too. I mean, there was well, not always, but, you know, the, you know, the top brands, I mean, there, there were good things. Right. And so learning those and figuring out what those are, but then, you know, making them all into one thing. And then when you start adding different fabrics in, though, too, patterns change, things change. It becomes your own. You know, we all mm -hmm. look at, you know what our competitors are doing, especially when you're starting off and you have no basis, right? I mean, you have to look to your competition and what's on the market, right? That's what you have to start from. Um, but from there, once you kind of learn about it, then you can start getting creative and thinking, okay, you know, how can I take this in different directions? Yeah. So you now make a ton of, a huge variety of, of bib shorts. And I, I basically wear every single one. And it's funny because people ask me what my favorite bibs are. And it, I just say it depends what's, what it's for. You know, if I'm riding my road bike and it's a short ride or if it's a long ride or if it's gravel or my mountain bike, or obviously we have thermals and different layers and options there, uh, cargo versus not cargo. And I, I think also once the introduction of the Del Dios line came out, that's when I realized what a crazy range of uh, materials and purposes and uses you could have for bib shorts that all feel really good for their respective purposes. So when did you start branching out and exploring those really specific pieces? Uh, because yeah. I, I'm sure, well, my assumption is that a lot of it's off the feedback of people saying, oh, I do need a pocket or, oh, I need a pair that's with more compression, less compression. Uh, when did you start branching out that way? Well, a lot of it came from, you know, so first, you know, we needed to have the, you know, the uh, kind of minimum essential product to start the custom business, right? So once that was established and we had those first pieces and we had one of everything that you, you know, to be able to do the custom business, then I basically sat down and, you know, when you're working with fabric vendors, you're seeing different things. And for me, like when I see a fabric, that's just the way my mind works. I usually see a purpose for it, right? Especially, and I, you know, I, you know, good or bad. I, I like really nice. I like really nice fabrics, man. The, the top stuff is just, it's amazing. The feel of it, but also the performance of it. And we learned that early on testing different, different, you know, two materials may look exactly the same. Um, one of the jerseys, our, orig our original Jersey, we had a fabric from Taiwan and we had a fabric from Italy and they looked exactly, you could, you could barely tell the difference that the knitting pattern and everything was the same, but one breathed and the other one did not and was super hot. Hmm. And you could, Feel the difference riding in it. And then our staff, when they sewed it, they noticed the difference. And when we printed it and cut it, we noticed the difference, the shrinkage, you know, the inconsistencies in the fabric. So, you know, we kind of learned, you know, early on that, that, you know, uh, you know, using those quality ingredients is important, but there's all, but then those, you know, the fabric vendors would come out with, or they had different pieces in the line. So we picked, you know, when we started, we needed the most, you know, down the middle product, but then mm -hmm. as, you know, the integrated, you know, the, the silicone imprints on the leg gripper. So you don't have to use, you know, an extra, you don't have to sew on a leg gripper, right? As those technologies came out, you know, as soon as the fabric vendors are, are, are looking at it, you know, or showing you, um, to me, it just like, oh, this is how I, I can just see it and say, this is how I want to use it or a trim or, you know, the, the flat straps that we use on the, um, you know, on the bibs or the different types of chamois. You know, for me, when I see that, when you're working with those vendors so closely, you can kind of see it. And at least I can. The the Del Dios line, I mean, that's really, you know, 
that came about because of the capabilities of a particular manufacturer in Italy that we worked with that actually weaves um, fabric. They don't use circular knit or um, warp knitting machines. They actually use looms <laughs> to uh, to make this stuff. And they have a lot more control over, you know, what they can make um, with those um, with with that, you know, con- that, that manufacturing technique. And that's really where we were able to customize. I mean, the Del Dio stuff, like those fabrics don't exist. You can't buy them anywhere except from us because we develop mm. You know, 100% custom. So the you know the 3D texturing for the aerodynamics. Um, you know, obviously some of those technologies were developed by you know the um, the fabric manufacturer. A lot of the testing and things, but we put all the different things together to make the exact fabric, all those different features to make the fabric that goes into that Del Dios bib. And you know, for me, that's always been like you know I I want to see like I mean this is stuff I ride in every day, right? So yeah. I want to, I want to wear like the best stuff. I want to, you know, I want to be thinking about it going like, man, there's nothing else that I would rather wear than this. And I think, you know, I mean, that's, that's what drove us to, you know, eventually get to that product, to that Del Dio's product, but you know, all the different ones, I think they're different purposes. And I, I, dude, I can honestly say I've had multiple moments, uh, in different kits throughout the years. And I will say, especially the Del Dio's where I have had that same exact feeling where I, I'm just like, I don't honestly think a, a kit could feel better than this. I don't think a kit could look better than this. And especially when you guys came out with the blue and the maroon Del Dios and the way it still had the black, I mean, I'm getting kind of in the weeds for everyone listening. Sorry if you don't know, but this is just my stoke on the product is the even the way it blended into the black bib short with the bottom strap still being black, it just all looked so dang good. And there were a few times I'd be out riding and make a couple contents and I'd be like, man, this kit is dialed. It is so dialed. And I will say, um, one of my favorites is the long sleeve, uh, Solana jerseys. Now the Laguna Seca performance insane. And it's, it's cool too, to see the progression, even in the last four years of the kits. And I'm assuming it's you guys advancing with the tech, but also as that your product line has gotten wider, it's like each individual item has gotten better and more specific. For instance, the the Laguna Seca performance, the new long sleeve. When I first put it on, I didn't think that I had any problems with the, the previous version, the Solana long sleeve. And I don't, I still wear those all the time, but I put on the new one and I was like, oh my gosh, everything I would have minorly tweaked about this was done. The sleeves are slightly shorter. The neck is a little bit more cropped. The pockets are more robust. There's more venting on the sides. Uh, It's a little bit tighter so I can load up my pocket. It's just like all these little details. And I really think with cycling kits and sorry, I'm not trying to kiss your butt right now, but this is totally (laughs) what I tell people all the time. (laughs) This is just the truth. So it's like... Uh, you really do get what you pay for is what I've realized with all of this. And it's like, you don't know until you use the product, like how different and how nice the things can be. And so it's cool to just have items for specific purposes. Like for instance, I, I don't typically wear my cargo, uh, Laguna Seca shorts or the endurance shorts, um, on like short road rides for obvious reasons. But I do really like it on uh, short mountain bike rides because I'm going around town. I got to drive to spots. I put my key in the cargo pocket. They're a little bit thicker. I feel like they can handle more uh, abrasion and if I crash or something. So it's just so cool that you have built this wide variety. So you've already explained why you love the Del Dio so much. Could you give people 
some specifics about that fabric. You talked about the process of it being made, but can you talk about how it pulls the, the sodium off your skin and some of those features of it? Because this is a really, really interesting thing that I've experienced and I didn't even know it was part of the performance until I did experience it. Like no one even had to tell me, but well, what's if, the deal with I that? Back to actually something you, you said, because, uh, you know, talking about like the, you know, the investment in your gear, right. And, and you're talking about those details and those things that you saw, right. I mean, you know, everything that goes into it and, you know, I always get frustrated when I see, you know, comments online, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, your stuff is so expensive or whatever. And I'm like, look, man, like, you know, I'm, we're not getting rich off of this, man. Like I'm not living in, so, you know, I'm not driving a Lamborghini down the street or anything. It's, it, you know, this is definitely a labor of love and a passion. Right. Um, but also the way we do it, I mean, manufacturing here, I mean, you've got to understand our costs are more than, than going to China. Right. Um, but the other thing is just those details that you talk about. Right. I mean, that's what you're getting when you, you know, yeah, you can, you can buy a bib short for, you know, for $80 if you want. I mean, that's, and that's totally cool. Like, I'm not saying you have to buy, you know, a $200 bib short, but I think it is important to know what the differences are, right? The difference in the manufacturer, the difference in the quality of the material. I mean, our bibs will last multiple, multiple seasons, right? I mean, I had some of our original clubs, one of the, you know, comments, one, one of my friends locally uh, from actually the Wolfpack team that was with us from the very start, um, one of the gentlemen came up to me after two or three seasons and he's just like, you know, the only problem, Brian, with the kits is that they don't wear out. Like, you, you know, we, we get a new design. I want the new design. Right. But I'm like, what do I do with this old stuff? And I'm like, well, I mean, that's that's the best problem somebody could have. Right. And yeah, I feel like and that's and that's the investment. Like, you don't have, I mean, I would rather have one bib short than the four that I had from my last, you know, racing team back in the day that wore out because that one performed so well. I'd rather wash it every freaking day and wear it again so I don't have chafing, the compression's right. You know, like when something doesn't work, it just ruins your ride. I mean, you can get, I mean, not just from a chafing standpoint, but you're thinking about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like the compression's not good and you're in and out of the saddle. And, uh, oh, excuse me. Got, uh, oh, no worries. <laughs> Probably should have turned that off when you're in and out of the saddle and you're in your, you know, your chamois on, on the old shorts, you know, it would, it would, you know, the material as it, you know, lost its compression gets caught on the saddle as you're going in and out of the saddle to sprint. Right. I mean, that kind of stuff just, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's what I've you had go. that happen. I've had the nose of a saddle on an old pair of bib shorts that are probably a little too saggy. Catch the bib as you're yeah, and it pulls it. It's all out of whack. Yeah. So when well, you, not uh, longevity of it too, the quality plays into how the experience you have every time you ride, you know, and yeah. if you're not, if you're not stoked on pulling those bib shorts out of the drawer every day and, and you, you know, that means they're going to, you're going to have some that are just sitting there doing nothing. Right. And that doesn't, you know, that's, that's not, uh, I mean, I'd rather make an investment in something and have it work the way, especially in this, I mean, you know, when you love riding, you, you just don't want to have those distractions. Right. I mean, you want it to be right. Yeah, that that's a, that is a really good point. It's actually how I feel about what I offer with strength and mobility work for cyclists because I know that it just enhances the ride experience, which snowballs into making everything else in your life better. And so I could see how the kit experiences the same way because I have also experienced that. So it's cool to think about impact. You know, it's like sometimes it's hard to directly think of how you're improving someone's life. So it's nice when you really see the reality of you're like, oh my gosh, this is the truth. When I pull out my bib shorts, it makes me happy and it makes my rides better. Yeah. And so when did you start getting that feedback from 
the customer? Like, did did LEL take off pretty quickly? Was it a slow grind to uh, establish yourself the way that you guys have now? Well, I think we we're fortunate. You know, we had a lot of early adopters locally. I think you know, uh, you know, I've been in the industry quite a while and raced for a lot, so I had you know a lot knew a lot of people in the uh, in the industry and just in the local community. And a lot of people jumped on early on and and you know put their faith in us. Really, like when we were you know just just getting going. Um, but I think we rewarded them with a product. I mean, the feedback initially was just like, man, like we've never we never felt this stuff. So mm. like when we started with, um, you know, uh, our ambassador, Sharon Smith, like when we started with his team, they were one of the first teams that came on. And I remember going up and, and uh, riding with the team manager, uh, Mike Vello at the time. And I mean, I took him a kit to go ride in. We went out and I mean, within 15 minutes and he just looks at me, he's like, I don't know what you did, but we have to figure this out. Like we have to use your stuff. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but this is so different feeling than anything we've used. And mm. I mean, that's like, I mean, that was the, and it, that was the feedback that we got, you know, and I mean, it's so motivating. I mean, I was, you know, I mean, when you hear that from riders, I mean, I love it. It's like when I go to an event and people come up and, you know, and they tell you about, you know, when they found your brand and, and the difference and all that things. I mean, it makes everything work. All the, all the headaches and all the, <laughs> you yeah. know, all the, all the late nights starting where me and Derek were, uh, my original founding partner, Derek, were, were up, you know, till 3 a.m. laser cutting stuff when we were just starting and didn't know how, it, you know, I mean, it was just chaos. Um, but I mean, that's really where, you know, where, where it comes through. I mean, you know, when people give you that feedback and say that, you know, they really appreciate the product and it makes their riding better. And, and, um, I mean, it's just, it's a great feeling. Isn't it validating too? You know, you are someone who has a ton of ride history and experience, which I'm sure is why you've been able to find product that feels good so quickly. Cause you are literally feeling it yourself and you've had those needs as a rider. I feel the same way again about my product. And do you have that feeling that I get sometimes where someone does say that, oh my gosh, I don't know what you did, but this is so much better. Like what this or that, where in your head, you also think, oh, thank God I'm not crazy. Like, I know this is better. Yeah. And I, I want other people to experience it the way that I do. Do you have that feeling too? Um, I mean, certainly early on. Absolutely. You know, because yeah. I put so much time and effort into it before anything happened. Right. And so, I mean, you know, I mean, my target was to make something that I wanted to ride in. That was really it. You know, I mean, I went on under, under the assumption that, you know, other people felt the same way that I did about the gear in the market. And so, you know, when I was happy with it, I just, you know, crossed my fingers and, you know, and, and you know, said, well, if I'm happy with it, I'm super picky. I know that teammates mm. told me that over the years. Right. Um, you know, but, uh you know, I figured if I was, if I was into it, other people would be. And thankfully, you know, that was the case and, and got that feedback early on, but no, it was really incredibly validating, um, for sure, you know, to hear that. Absolutely. Oh yeah. So as you start growing, um, I, I kind of, I don't want to just fast forward to the craziness of the last few years. Uh, but until we get to COVID times, was this a pretty steady growth? Yeah. I mean, we were always limited by the manufacturing, you know, just our capacity. That was always mm. the challenge for us. Uh, we could have sold, I think, a lot more in the in the early years for sure, um, based on our capacity. So we were juggling, you know, custom when we started the inline business. Um, we had a triathlon brand as well. So it was just, you know, I mean, you're juggling priorities and, and you know, 
trying to get everything through. And, you know, when you do custom, you know, you do have to, and I know this has been a frustration for, for people over the years, right. When we've been out of stock on certain things. Um, but you know, when you make custom, you have to prior, you know, when you promise somebody that it's due on this date, you got to get it done on that date. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. so that always would prioritize over our, you know, our product online. And, you know, we had to learn the process. That's a process too, you know, when you're doing mm -hmm. online, but the time it takes to actually develop it and get it in, um, and times of years that you want to actually be making that stuff. So you're not plugging up your production, right? Those are things other companies, they don't worry about. They just write a PO and send it off and let somebody else deal with that. That's not what we do, right? I mean, we, you know, I mean, for better or worse, right? I mean, you, you know, there's trade-offs, right? I can, I can also, you know, I'm, you know, we can talk about, you know, industry conditions and pandemic and all that stuff, right? But, you know, how much inventory is in the market right now, both bicycles and apparel and everything that came down to people having to place orders a year out and miss forecasting, right? We don't do that. We just, we make it to order as we need it, right? And so there's, mm. there's good, good and bad there, right? Okay, so let's jump into that a little bit. I even uh, I, I sent you some of these talking points, and I said, you know, sorry if this is tough to talk about. I think uh, more people are bringing up experiences through COVID stuff that they dealt with, um, which I think has been really cool for understanding, especially what's happening now in the cycling industry uh, with what you mentioned about misforecasting it. Which I don't blame anybody for. It's like how do you predict the unpredictable, <laughs> and so. You know, you come into COVID, you have obviously the materials you're still shipping over. Um, someone I remember early in uh, during that time had told me that you guys had all of your zipper zippers stuck on a cargo ship at one point for like four months or something. So I'm curious when all of that halts happened and the shipping issues are going on, what's the what's the craziest thing that you guys had to deal with and navigate during that time? Yeah. That, I mean, there was one shipment that was probably the worst, you know, where actually, so instead of going to the, the Long Beach port was all backed up, right? So they thought they'd be, you know, fancy and they, you know, they went to the East coast and they were going to send it across on a train after that. Right. And that was going to be the easy way. That particular order was like four months late. I mean, it was a container, a big container of fabric, right? So it was a lot of stuff in it and it caused all kinds of problems. And we were, we were having to air over, you know, a few rolls from our manufacturer paying, you know, through the roof shipping costs. I mean, shipping costs went crazy across the board, you know, that time, but, you know, to air in a roll of fabric versus, you know, bringing it in on a, on a, you know, in a container is completely different cost structure. Right. But that's what we had to do to keep things moving. I mean, we had, you know, there was good and bad, right. I mean, we were shut down. Our factory was closed, right. We were shut down. I mean, there was a two month period where you weren't allowed to operate right in California when they shut everything down. So, I mean, that was terrifying. I mean, the first day yeah. we're on, I mean, I'm on the phone with my partners and, and we're just like, what are we going to do? Like, there's no way, like we don't, you know, if we can't make this gear, if we can't fulfill these orders, I mean, the money stops and we know we've got a, you know, we've got a monthly, you know, nut that we've got to hit with all of our manufacturing crew. Right. So, I mean, it was terrifying. I mean, we honestly, I mean, we had to, we had to lay everybody off like immediately. I mean, it was, a, it was a very, I mean, super hard decision. I mean, anybody that knows me knows how, um, you know, loyal and, and, and slow to let anybody go, you know, that, that I, that I am. And that was really difficult, but fortunately, you know, I mean, the, I couldn't, I can't stress enough the attitudes of our staff at that time because everybody understood. I mean, I thought they were all just going to like kill me and everybody went, no, Ryan, like, what can we do to help? Like, how do we, mm. like, we understand it's a tough, you know, like, 
everybody's in the same boat here. Like, how do we help? And so that was just, I mean, that was really, you know, for one, you know, reassuring, very, you know, I mean, I, I felt that for sure uh, for my staff. And fortunately, we were able to jump on. And, you know, after a month when the mask need was out, um, we were able to come in, my, my production manager at the time and one of our one of our sewing staff and I came in and, you know, we, we knocked out some prototypes and figured out how to make masks. And then for the next month until they opened us back up, you know, we were making, you know, just masks for a whole, you know, for, for a solid month. And, um, oh yeah. And that was, you know, I mean, and honestly that, that put a lot of people back to work, um, you know, and thankfully, you know, our customers, you know, I mean, there was a shortage, right. But I mean, we weren't, you know, we weren't out to, you know, to make a profit. I mean, our, our goal was to like get our people back to work and sustain the business, you know, and that's why, you know, we felt like we needed to donate a mask for everyone we sold because, you know, I, I'm not a profiteer, you know, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, take advantage of a bad situation to make money. I and mean, that's just not something that I would do. So, um, so we donated a lot of masks, but we also, our customers came out in droves and it was funny. I mean, I would see them around town on people that I knew were not cyclists. Right. And so, mm. You know, really? cyclists, you know, people and we would have, I mean, there was customers in our database that, you know, never ordered again because they weren't cyclists, but they bought masks from us. And that was really cool. Um, oh, that's interesting. So when, it, it, how long did it take? Um, I guess, okay. I always do this with my questions. I have to remind people, I'm not a professional interviewer. I get excited and I want to just ask all the things, but sure. um, did people, when you guys initially shut down, were people still trying to order for that first few weeks or month? Yeah, well, you know, the custom side, I mean, that that, you know, kind of stopped for for a bit because we didn't, you know, we didn't know what we were going to be able to do. Um, mm. that was tough because we had, you know, we typically we've got almost 2 months of of orders, you know, on our books that that are in various stages of the manufacturing process. Um, and that just stopped, right? And thankfully, I mean, you know, I'll say thank you to every customer that was that was working with us at that time because nobody called and yelled at it. I mean, it was amazing. Like people were just like, hey, wow. like the world's in turmoil. Like we feel for you guys. Like we're, you know, just do what you can, man. Worry about, you know, keeping yourself going and, you know, get us the gear when you can. Um, and obviously there wasn't a racing season or anything like that, putting pre time pressure on people. Right. So, um, but you know, I mean, that was, that was a, that was a super difficult time. I mean, we had, you know, we lost two months of production, right. So we were backed up, you know, for a long time. We did have stuff on our website, but not a lot because we don't, you know, we don't order tons, you know, we, we make it as we, as we go. So, mm. you know, we didn't get to take advantage of the boom. Like a lot of people, like, like some people did some people, you know, it just depended on where you were, you know, in that whole mm -hmm. process. We were lucky because we have a lot of raw materials on hand, right. And we have to have them on hand in order to make each of these orders. And at that time we were stocked up because it was our, our heavy season. So it's the peak of how much, you know, fabric it's the, it's the max that we have in raw materials. So we had that stuff already in. So that kept us when we were able to start open up and go back to making gear that got us through a lot of months before, you know, as, as the supply chain problems started kicking in, you know, we were able to get a lot of stuff through and, and, you know, get that manufacturing, you know, back going, but, you know, we were always low on the website. So, you know, that stuff, we, we were still selling through that period. Um, but you know, it was, it was, you know, it certainly wasn't a, a boom for us. What about after, you know, uh, when everyone realizes, okay, 
I want to spend more time outdoors on a bike and the industry starts getting that boom. There's this crazy demand, but again, everyone in the industry is having the supply chain issues. So then they're starting all these huge orders, racing for it, over forecasting, which everyone's dealing with now, uh, which is a huge issue. But was there no time in that period where you did start noticing a boom where stuff was coming back stronger than it had in, in 2019? Yeah. Well, 21 was our best year ever. You know, I mean, we were, oh, we were okay. on steady growth, you know, I mean, you know, we, you know, we weren't doubling every year or anything like that, you know, after the, after the first couple of years where, you know, you start from zero. Right. Um, but we had nice steady growth every year, you know, continuing a nice curve and, and, and 21 was good. I mean, we had a nice, you know, there were a lot of people out on bikes, right. And, and just in general, I mean, you know, even, even people who were, you know, um, you know, there's the people that kind of dusted their bikes off and got back into it, but you know, people had more time to ride and we're riding, right. You know, and, you know, working remote, I think gave people some more time as well, uh, more flexibility. So, you know, I think we benefited, we all benefited from that, but mm-hmm. you know, when 22 came and those, you know, everyone, you know, ever so I think a lot of people had a great 21 and then, and the 20, you know, 21, they placed their orders for 22 and they went crazy. And, you know, I mean, you know, I think, I hope that a lot of those riders that got back into it, stayed into it. Right. But a lot of those people, you know, they were in and out of it for a reason. Maybe gyms were closed. Their other activities weren't happening when those came back. Certain people would, you know, are going to go back to that as well. So, you know, I think we had a natural, I mean, cycling, I feel is still, you know, it's still, you know, a a growing sport, but you know, the, you know, the, the shock and that, that massive jump that we saw was just, you know, I mean, that wasn't going to be, you know, it wasn't going to continue like that. Right. So, Um, I'd like to say that I was smarter than everybody, but the reality and didn't, you know, place those big orders, but the reality is because of the way we make it, we just never did that ourselves. Right. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it, you know, by the end of the summer, that's what, that's when it started kicking in, you know, when people hadn't sold through their spring and summer product, I think everyone, you know, realized it. And then it was like, you know, there's been a lot of discounting, you know, and that's, and that's tough when you're, you know, when you're, you know, uh, you know, when you're, when you're manufacturing here and you've got higher costs than other people, right. You know, when you're, you're naturally, sometimes you have to, you know, in order to sell your price, if everyone else is discounting, you're kind of, you know, there's only so much you can do, right. You know, sometimes you yeah. have to get in, get involved in that as well. And, you know, and that's difficult. So, um, you know, I think we've all been doing that. It'll be nice. I think when, you know, they predict, I think, you know, next year things will start to get, I think back to normal. Um, you know, and uh, people, you know, will, will have adjusted their, their forecasts and everything. And, you know, that's, that's where we want to be. Yeah. Almost like things are actually leveling out. You're going from this huge increase to this like uh softer market. And then hopefully it just finds some like steadiness again. I'm it's just crazy. The aftermath. I mean, thinking about uh, COVID feels so long ago, but the reality was it was, you know, just a year or two ago, really. And so the fact that it's still having the effects uh, really on the whole outdoor industry is what I've been hearing uh, is pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it just, you know, I mean, there were winners and losers, right? I mean, some people, you know, if you're positioned right, you won. If you weren't, you lost. Um, you know, if you over forecasted, you know, on, on the wrong product, you know, I mean, so, you know, I think the high end bikes seemed to, you know, they were still, you know, it's tough to get them. Right. But then those mid-level bikes, you know, that everyone was predicting, you know, those new riders coming in, when that softened, you know, there's just a ton of stuff out there. There's only so many bikes, right? You know, you only yeah. many doesn't even doesn't matter at the price. You know, there's only so many that are going to get sold. So, um, no, it'd be nice. I mean, it's 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 difficult. I hope I hope you know, 
as supply chain has gotten back, I mean, right now I mean, we have no no supply chain issues, you know, outside of any anything that would normally happen, right? You know, you always have nice. bumps along the way, but um, no, I think everyone's pretty much, you know, uh, you know, feels like we're kind of back, you know, we're back to normal now. So hopefully, hopefully that'll stay that way for a while. We could we could use a break from this for a while. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, again, I got to acknowledge just the fact that it seems like you do have empathy for the whole industry, and you really want the best for everyone that's involved, which is which is really cool. You guys see the advantages and disadvantages you've had in the, along the way. And I, I want to know where you kind of go from here, because now you have this wide product line. Uh, you guys are doing a lot of, it, it's, I don't want to say it's redesigned because I think everything is very much Eliol uh, in regards to, I'm like thinking about how I pronounce it now, Eliol instead of L-E-L. Okay. I'm going to get that. But it, it seems like your guys's product range has, it's just gotten it's a wider variety, but it's even more sharp and on brand than ever is, is what I'm kind of noticing, especially from the last few months. And so where do you plan on going from here? Do you have a specific direction that you want to take it um, that maybe people don't expect? Are you, uh, are, you, are you trying anything new and creative in the future? What, what's going on in your brain right now with the product? Yeah. I mean, I'm always, I'm always thinking about ways to improve things. Right. And so I think like the last, the last releases that we did with the new Laguna Seca, um, you know, performance and endurance product. I mean, you know, that was just, you know, accumulation of knowledge. I mean, our original bib shorts lasted for eight years, right? I mean, we were selling the same bib short for eight years and people were still blown away by it after eight years. Right. So, I mean, you know, it was, it was a good product, but, you know, I think we made, we made a lot of, you know, really nice improvements and, and adjustments. Um, you know, uh, in terms of the anatomic patterning, the flat straps, uh, the new waistband construction with that carbon fiber mesh that we use, um, the new chamois um, that's in those bibs. I mean, you know, and there's always room to improve. I mean, every time I go ride, you know, like I do my best thinking what I'm riding. And, you know, if I go out, you know, particularly, uh, um, you know, a couple times, a, you know, a week in the morning, you know, I'll get out. And if I'm not riding with anybody and I'm not trying to, you know, smash a hill or whatever. I'm just riding. There's some about the blood flow that just, you know, all of a sudden the brain just, you know, it works really well. And, um, you know, and ideas just come out and you just start thinking about, oh man, you know, I could do this to this product and this to that product. Um, so I think it's just, you know, there's a lot of refining that just, you know, you, you constantly want to do. I mean, I have a laundry list of things, you know, that I want to do right now. And, you know, you just have to organize and do them, you know, methodically. Um, you know, we've got some new new items for the Dell DLS line that are coming with new fabrics and things. Um, so that, you know, we're going to expand uh, that line just based on, you know, new, new fabric technology um, and, um, you know, things that, you know, I want to play with and, and, uh, and ride in. So, um, you know, we're definitely looking at like mountain bike stuff, you know, you know, just, just other, other areas of cycling. Um, but I think, you know, we're, you know, we're conscious of, you know, we want to make sure there's so many improvements that we can continue to make. And, you know, I, you know, part of the focus right now, I think is, is being, you know, really focused coming out of this term, you know, very term, you know, um, you know, tumultuous you know, couple of years, just staying focused is important, you know? And so, yes. and, and, um, you know, so we've made a lot of improvements to our processes, to our customer service. This year has been, you know, a lot of resetting on some things. And, you know, we're really getting amazing feedback on, you know, our custom process has been, you know, been streamlined, even better, faster turnaround, better art experiences, you know, than we had even before, which I think you can always continue to improve that. And our customer service, 
you know, we, we hired a new, a new gentleman who's fantastic, who has come and just revamped that. And, you know, you can, you can talk to us eight hours a day now, you know, live, you know, on the phone or in the, in the chat. And we didn't have that before, you know, it took us a while to get back to emails and stuff. And, you know, that's hard. I mean, I know how that is as a customer. It's, you know, you get lost in there. You have a question. It's like, man, if I could just get the answer to this question, I'd buy the mm -hmm. product. I need to know this before I'm comfortable in buying it. Right. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of those things. So, I mean, that's, that's what keeps things interesting too, from a business standpoint, right? It's not just about the product. It's about the processes. It's about the people. It's about continuing to improve every day in, in all aspects. Right. So, I mean, it's good for, it's good for my brain it, and my brain, you know, goes a lot of different places often. So it's nice to, uh, you know, to have those, those, those different things to think about. So you like the balance of the creative product design, development, all of that mixed in with the actual running the business as well. Like you like that that balance. Yeah, I don't think I've really found the creative side of, of me until um, until I started, you know, Elio. Um, you know, I mean, I, I was creative in the in the socks, you know, designing some of the socks, but it was pretty limiting. I didn't think about that a whole lot. It was a lot about running the business and learning, you know, learning to run a business. Um, and you know, with LL, I definitely started with, you know, um, those ideas. And there really was only one person that was going to make the product that I wanted to make. And, you know, that was me. So, you know, I had to do that part of it as well as, you know, build the rest of the business. And again, like I said, it was a team effort, you know, my original partners, our first employees, everybody, you know, um, you know, everybody lifted a lot <laughs> to make this business. Yeah. You know, no one person can do it on their own. There's just no way. And you, and, and honestly, I wouldn't want to. The thing that I love about, you know, this business um, in particular is just the team. You know, I miss from my racing days. That was one of my favorite things about racing was the teamwork um, and the camaraderie within a team. Right. I mean, when you, you know, line up and you've got good people with you and you just want to lay it on the line for those people, you know, I mean, I wasn't, you know, a prolific winner or anything like that. I was, I was a, you know, usually a lead out guy was kind of my, was my sweet spot. And I got as much satisfaction when I did a good job and I dropped my sprinter off and, and they had a good result or won the race. I mean, you know, just coming back to the team car afterwards and high five and everybody and just everyone that contributed to that, you know, being excited about that victory. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. And, you know, when we get a, you know, I got a, you know, an email from a, from a friend uh, who, who was complimenting our customer service, um, you know, the other day, and, you know, I get to forward this on to the team and I don't just send it to the team, the customer service team. I send it to the whole company and say, Hey guys, you know, we need to recognize these people that are, you know, just got this amazing compliment and, and the great job they're doing. And same when people, you know, give me compliments on the gear. I go back to my production crew, man. Like I'm not selling the stuff, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I designed it. Yes, but they have to make it and do a great job every single day. They need to show up and do their jobs properly, you know, to make the best gear, you know, uh, to keep the, the, you know, the quality consistent. Right. So, you know, making sure that we acknowledge them and that they're, you know, tuned into that, but, and feel part of the team. Everyone needs to be, you know, everyone needs to feel part of the team. I love that. Well, Ryan, it's been so cool to learn not only more about you, but LEL as a LEL, excuse me, as a brand. <laughs> and I, I mean, not only do I feel that much more connected to it, but I think everyone listening probably does as well. It's so interesting to know the backstory of product, how things started, uh, especially product that's relevant to the Dialed fan because you guys have been doing our kits for the last four years now, and we have a kit that's on its way. Uh, that people will be getting, I think, just at the start of the year. So 
Really grateful to have you on the episode. Thanks for the time today. And I'll be sure to link all of the information for Eliel in the description. Uh, and also, uh, do you want me to link your Instagram? Do you care? Sure, absolutely. You? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, might as well do it as well. Okay, so I'll, I'll link uh, Ryan and it's Katie. It's not Caddy. Katie, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure to uh, link Ryan's Instagram handle in the description as well if you guys want to follow up. Followers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like you. Don't expect. Yeah. Don't, if you're looking at my personal Instagram, don't don't expect a whole lot. You'll see some writing pictures here and there, but uh, you know, a lot lot more on the Elio Instagram. But you know, I'm not I'm not a regular content creator like you, Derek. But uh, I appreciate it, man. Like what you're doing is fantastic too. So I appreciate you having me on here and, and taking the time to you know to highlight us and, and 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 your passion. You know, you're passionate about what you do for your clients and your business. You can feel that, you know, and that's what I love about your videos and everything that you're doing. And, you know, that's why we work together, right? Because our values mm -hmm. align and, and uh, you know, you're passionate about our product. We're passionate about you and, and uh, you know, what you're giving to your clients. And so, you know, we appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the support over the last few years. Uh, it's been like, yeah, four or five almost. Yeah. Um, and looking forward to 2024. So uh, with that said, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. I hope you guys love that conversation with Ryan as much as I did. You know, it's not every day you get to sit down with the founder of a successful cycling brand and get to ask him whatever you want, especially in a distraction-free environment like that. Because I've actually met Ryan in person at an event earlier this year, but you're at a race, there's so much going on, and you can't have a real conversation like that. And I've also talked to him, you know, over the phone or back and forth on email, but you're usually getting straight down to business. So <laughs> it's really cool to actually be able to ask him whatever I want. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. So thanks again, Ryan, for coming on. And now I want to move into weekly thoughts and let you guys know what's going on with Dialed Health because we hit a very weird milestone uh, recently. This was a couple weeks back. And I can't remember if I talked about it on the last episode but we crashed the server officially for the website. And it's a weird flex because the last thing you want is for anyone's experience to be interrupted, which inevitably happens when you crash a server. And I started getting messages about the website being a little bit slow. And as soon as we started looking into it, the website actually stopped responding. And thankfully, I'm telling you, I'm so grateful for the guys on the back end of the website, the team behind it, Modern McGuire Productions. They actually host the website and they're so responsive. This happened over a weekend and I was able to text the, the owner himself, let him know what's going on. And he knows usually if he gets a text from me, it's like a red flag text. <laughs> I try and be good about saving those text messages for that reason. Like he knows they're serious and they jump on it ASAP. And within the matter of, I think like 30 minutes, they swapped, swapped this over to our own server and uh, it was funny because thankfully everyone that dealt with the interruption understood, very patient with me and with the team. Uh, but once it was all over and reset up, we all kind of like looked at each other. <laughs> well, not literally, but we talked to each other back and forth. We're like, hey, that's like a kind of a weird accomplishment, isn't it? You know, to crash the server. Like I didn't even know what that meant. I think most of you guys know I don't have a tech background. I don't understand a lot of this stuff. And I know servers crash, but I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know what you do to fix it. So going through that process was pretty interesting. And I think it just goes to show how many more people are integrating strength training into their weekly routine, which is so rad. In fact, I have an insane testimonial I want to read to you guys. 
before I get into some kind of content updates and things like that, because this was one of those emails I got that makes me sort of pause and take in everything that's really happening. You know, it's so easy to focus on any negative sides of business or things that are stressing me out. But when I get an email like this, it puts everything into perspective as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. And also the reality of what's happening, you know, at the same time, maybe someone's pissed off at you, you have this email come through. So let me read it. It's from Patrick Gilgour or Gilgore. Gil, I, I should have asked him how to pronounce his last name. But this is from a Dial Fan member, Patrick. He says, Derek, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I want to drop you a note and tell you thank you. I have two exciting things I want to share with you. First, when I reached out back in June to get your recommendation on which program I should start with, I set a goal to work out five days a week to prep for the Breck Epic in 2024. I'm happy to share that in five months, I haven't missed a workout. I've adapted as needed to accommodate time constraints, travel, etc., but I've been consistent. I heard you share on a podcast, hash, well, <laughs> I just threw that in. I literally looked at these, sorry guys, this is my commentary right now. I saw these quotations and I thought hashtag, <laughs> but in quotations, it says, I don't miss. And that's become my mantra. So we're back in the email. Second, I crushed a 200 kilometer bike ride with two buddies last week, which is a personal best distance for me. Your Everest Rome video and podcast encouraged me to set a goal that would push me beyond my comfort zone. I've ridden multiple centuries, but this was way, this was by far the best I've ever felt, both physically and mentally. I felt as good at mile 120 as I did at 60. I can confidently say that strength training was the secret sauce to push the pace and throw down with my buddies after riding seven hours. It was an incredible experience. Final stats, 130 miles, 6,600 feet of climbing, and normalized power of 206. I'm incredibly proud of myself and love the trajectory I'm on. Strength training has become something I look forward to. I'm currently doing the dumbbell program on Tuesdays and Fridays to try and incorporate uh, and try and incorporate a kettlebell flow on Sundays. I ride Tuesday, VO2, Wednesday, recovery, Thursday, intervals, and Saturday and Sunday, endurance. Thanks again for all your work on the platform, program, and content. I find it enjoyable and motivating. Until next time, Patrick. Dude, round of applause for you. Like even rereading that gets me again, just refocused on why I'm doing it all in the first place. Because I, I can honestly say my job right now is exactly what I would do if I wasn't being paid or what I would want to do or what I'd be trying to do at this level. So to add the stress or pressure or responsibility of it being my job, it can, like, again, it can make you, it, it can change the dynamic of it. But this reminds me that I'm right where I need to be too. So I, I really appreciate that. You know, like obviously this is not supposed to be about me, but I guess that's the impact that it had on me when I read this. And I think you're just a great example of what the Dowd fam should be striving for. The fact that you're focused on not missing, staying consistent, and then you went out on a ride to push yourself and all of that training came through and you got to feel it in real time. That is the ultimate testimonial. So Patrick, thanks again. You're the man, keep crushing it. And uh, we'll get back to my actual notes here. So let me grab a little sip. Mouth's a little parched. You know, before this episode, I was wrestling with my kids in my garage and they started screaming their heads off and it got so stressful. And uh, now I'm really thirsty. So I'm gonna take a couple sips and we're back. So first off, I have an update for you on the website. Website filters for programs and for the workouts. Now this is pretty cool. Um, 
we have been working on the program questionnaire, which initially was a quiz that you submitted that came to me, and I would personally respond to every one of these questionnaires. As I mentioned on a couple of previous episodes, that got so out of hand with the surge of traffic over the summer or late summer that I wasn't able to keep up with it. So we're working on automating that questionnaire, but it's just not accurate enough enough yet for me to feel confident to release it. And that's been taking a little longer than expected, but it's getting closer, which I'm very excited about. Now, in the meantime, we added filters to the website on the program page and also the workouts page. So you can easily navigate the programs and workouts at least better than you could before. So on the app, there's a filter for the workouts where you click, okay, TRX, and it just shows you the TRX ones. Well, we added that to the actual website itself, and it just makes it a little bit cleaner. Like if you want to go and do a no equipment core workout on the workouts page, you can use that filter, and then it'll just pop those up. Or if you want to just do a mobility workout, you click the filter, it'll just pop those up, and then you don't have to scroll quite as much. It's just a little cleaner, a little simpler. And honestly, it's one of those features where I'm like, why didn't we have this from the start? (laughs) But it just takes so much feedback and so much time to feel like it's a priority. So we added that and we also added it onto the uh, programs page. Now, the one on the programs page is a lot more complex. And we did this because it's essentially the, I don't want to say it's like the uh, algorithm or whatever equation we're putting in place for the automated program questionnaire, but it's a, it's a lot of the questions that we're asking in that process so that you can go and basically filter it yourself. For instance, if you want to work out two days or three days a week, you check that box. You write, you check your writing discipline, your uh, equipment availability. We actually broke down every piece of equipment that's on the website. So you can either click full gym access or you can select all the pieces of equipment you can also just like change the order of the selection. So if you have only a foam roller and you want to just click that, you can. Or if the only thing you don't have is a foam roller, you could basically flip-flop it. So we're trying to make it easier to navigate and for you guys to kind of understand what goes into each program and hopefully make the experience a little bit easier without the assistance. Now, what's interesting that I've learned with not having the program questionnaire is that you guys are going to get your questions in no matter what. And that's one thing that should be expected as a subscription service that I've admitted in the past I really didn't anticipate. Because when I first went to a subscription opposed to selling individual programs, my whole thought was, let's make this more affordable and give people more options and programs, which is why we transferred over. But with the subscription comes the customer support aspect to it, which is It's like just expected, which again, I totally understand as well. So in my head, I'm like, okay, there's got to be a level of training support at some level going forward. And I don't think I can get away from that. And not not that I want to, but what I've realized is that with all of the individual questions I've been answering through emails myself, I have not been adding the content or the answer to those questions to the public. So for instance... One question I get a ton is, how do I know what weight I should choose for which exercise? Now, there's quite a few ways to go about this. You know, whether that's working off a one rep max percentage, I typically recommend a rate of perceived exertion. There's all sorts of ways to look at which weight you should choose. But what I end up doing is answering that question individually and not building out content for everyone to access it. So if you answer that question multiple times in a day, it kind of 
drains your not only time, but also your energy around the whole thing. So you are less likely to go and want to create content around it, but that's exactly what you need to do. For instance, I made the video, should cyclists take creatine on YouTube? Because so many cyclists were asking me, should I take creatine? And I would say like, yes or no. I mean, I always say yes, pretty much. Uh, Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the video. But I would like give both sides of it. Like, I'm not going to be with that guy who says it doesn't make you retain water because it does technically. How much? I think that is a little bit more individual and I go over it in the video. But it became this back and forth where I could, it wasn't just like a like a quick, hey, here's my my take on it. And then people are like, okay, it, it came with all these follow-up questions. So I took all of those follow-up questions, turned it into a video. And now anytime someone asks me, should cyclists take creatine or should I take creatine? I send them the video and it's like so much more in depth. It's still concise. It's like 11 minutes or something like that. And it truly gives my entire opinion on the topic. And if someone has a question after that, which sometimes they do, I'll still follow it up, but it, it's like, a, it's a win for everybody. It's a win for me. It's a win for the person asking the question. And I realized I really need to approach every major topic like this. For instance, the, how do I decide which way I do win or on a given exercise? That should have been a video by now. Uh, it should have been a blog post. It should have been a resource that I can go in depth on in a concise way, in a way that's realistic and an amount of information people can take in. And I should already have that built out to deliver to them and it saves everybody time. But I think the thing that has stopped me is trying to handle all the individual cases opposed to making the the collective content. And that's like a really, it's not a problem of people asking the question because I want people to feel like they can talk and ask and they don't have to be reserved on questions that they do have. But when it's me doing everything, like which is the source of the problem, (laughs) It, it just, it zaps your energy. It zaps your time. And so that's what I'm trying to like find this balance of right now, because I want to make sure people have the customer support that they need. But at the same time, I need to move forward with these pieces of content so that everyone has a better experience. And not only that, but these types of things need to live on the website as well. You shouldn't have to like come to me for all of these questions. They should be easier to find for you also through the website, which is, ultimately like the hub of all things dialed health, which interestingly enough, I think that social media platforms have almost played that role. And I think in the future, it needs to not be that way. So I'm not just sitting here trying to critique everything, but I want to give you guys a heads up on where my mindset is at with some of the changes and trying to scale this thing up. But also the realizations of like, dude, like I really need to get more coaching support for everyone moving forward because I think that's just an inevitable piece of what we're doing. And to be honest, it's like the funnest part of it. Like we, I'm a coach, like people, like trainers that are going to be involved with this. You know, I've been talking to Josh Rasmussen a lot more who is currently working. By the way, this is a little content sneak peek for you guys. He's working on a four day a week program. It is so sick. We have another meeting about it tomorrow and I'm just so impressed with his programming. Like we've been going back and forth on this and he's brought up a few things where I'm like, dude, like I can tell you're full-time training in person right now because like no one would just make this suggestion up. Like you would have to be so deep in training as a trainer to understand that this is what people need. And I'm so grateful that I'm, I'm working with him on this. So four day a week program coming very soon. Uh, and hopefully a lot more than just that. So that's kind of what's all in the works where my mindset is at with the website. 
I, I think the reality of getting this stuff done is another personal issue where I, I just feel like I'm ready to step up my schedule again. Now, I feel like in the last couple of months, I've struck, I, I would say just like a good all around work-life balance. Uh, still very focused. I'm still not going far outside of where I think I should be spending my time, which is family, like fitness and work. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much all that I do. And I'm really happy with that. I think that my focus has been there and I've been very like on task. Um, and I know that sounds like so crazy type A, but I, I, I really feel like I want to give a good push into work and the training a little bit more. Like I've been spending a lot of time with my family, which again, I'm not, uh, I'm not regretting at all, but I need to put up a little bit of boundary. You know, like I moved my, uh, studio into my garage at the beginning of the year and my wife also does hair from home. And so she, her schedule is super, super light, but it's still has a lot of people at our house back and forth. I'm home, like I'm always kind of available, but not and flexible. So I try and accommodate. And I just got to a point where even yesterday I told my wife, I was like, I think I'm being a little too accommodating. Like, I, I think I need to put up a little bit more of a, of a guard and really hammer down on some stuff. Like all these pieces of content, like they don't just make themselves. <laughs> and there's a lot of things I, I'm doing well that I want to keep up with. And I have some training goals that are coming up too. I think in the next week or two, I'd really like to talk about it more. But there's just, there's so much that I really want to do. And there's this urgency that's coming back to where it, it doesn't feel like stress, but it just feels like I want a good dig into work. And so one thing I'm doing right now is for one, understanding that boundary a little bit and just being vocal with my wife, like, hey, I'm going to have to be a, a little bit, like I'm going to have to step away a little bit more. And also just say no at certain times to like either watch the kids or do whatever it is. Um, and again, this is like such a hard thing, like uh, because you don't want to create obviously any problems. Like me and my wife's relationship is incredible and I want to keep it that way. But I also just can't be like, yes, man. So <laughs> like even today, I had to dig my heels in on something she asked and I felt kind of bad because I said no and she looked at me kind of weird. And I was like, dude, I don't like, I, you know, I don't know what you want me to do really because I need to get this stuff done and I don't feel like things have been getting done to the the extent that I want um and and so anyways it's just I, I'm still trying to figure out all this stuff too the whole uh I, I don't like I don't want to say I'm like striving for this perfect work-life balance I, I really strive to be focused like that's what I think I, I think that's where the, the gold is at is just the focus and not feeling like you have to do 20,000 things all the time. Um, you know, whether that's for work or leisure or whatever, but, but yeah, I, uh, I'm putting up that boundary a little bit. I'm going to hopefully, uh, have a healthy marriage by the end of the year, um, doing that. But I'm also stepping up my schedule with a little earlier wake up time. Um, I've been sleeping really well, the literally the best I have in over 10 years since I became a trainer because I went from doing 5 a.m. sessions for so long to having three kids. And so for almost 10 years, my sleep was horrible. But I've been sleeping like over seven hours every single night, some nights eight, uh, and getting good quality deep sleep. Um, I have been waking up between 6 and 6.30. And, and this is the thing, like 
it's just like a little bit late for me to feel like I'm actually getting after it. I don't know. But the thing is, I feel so good when I sleep that late. You know what I mean? Like I haven't even given myself time to experience what it's like to fully be rested. And it's, it is really amazing because the, the, you're like perceived exertion of life is so much lower (laughs) when you get quality sleep. But also I feel like a little less prepared for each day because I'm waking up and within, you know, 15 minutes, my kids are getting up if they're not already up yet. And so, you know, I don't have time to do the morning ritual uh, without interruption, you know, which is just wake up, brush my teeth, use the bathroom, get coffee, read my Bible, take 10, 15 minutes to think about my schedule that day, do some prayer, look over my goals. I still do those things. But when you have someone like hit me in the side of the head with like a freaking little monster truck toy it's it's harder to focus on it and feel like you're really on top of it and then i feel like the whole morning rolls out slower but this morning i woke up at 5 45 was out of bed before six uh and then even started my workout before 8 a.m which like it, it's funny to say it because i part of me is like i know it's not crazy early uh but a lot of times i would start work and then work out later in the morning but i felt like i just needed to get my strength workout done earlier. I had a strength workout and a run today and I wanted to split them up more, get a meal in between, get a little bit more rest time, but also just get out of the house sooner as well. It's like my whole schedule needs a little bit of an overhaul. And I, it, it, it might sound bad for the people right now who wake up at 4.30 or 5, get their 90-minute trainer session, they're out the door by like 7, 7.30 and they're gone all day for work. Like it, it it's crazy because... I'm so lucky to not have so much tight structure, but at the same time, it's like it takes a lot of discipline to put up those boundaries and to make sure that you're really pushing yourself when you don't, I don't want to say you don't need to, but there's no one telling you to, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think it's just like this inner internal dialogue I have where I'm like, yo, do you want to be legit? Like, do you want to really step up to the plate and go to the next level. And I feel like I'm ready for that right now. And when I wonder what the next level is, I feel like I'm starting to get a vision of it. Um, I guess I'll just tell you guys, one one person I'm really inspired by right now is Nick Bear from Bear Performance Nutrition, my nutrition partner. Uh, the owner of the brand just came out to CIM, crushed his run, uh, like a sub 240 marathon as a super jacked <laughs> weightlifter. Incredibly impressive. Uh, but just the way he rolled out the content, called it out, the the overall push that this dude has, that is what's making me like want to step up almost. Like I I feel like there's so much more ahead of me that I haven't even scratched the surface of, and I'm not going to get there if I'm too cozy. Like I need to actually step up a little bit. So. I think continuing to prioritize sleep will be important. That's why I'm not just going to wake up at 5 a.m. or 4.30 or like stuff I've done in the past because I realized the value of getting the good night's sleep. So I'm like, there's got to be a little bit of a happy, happy medium in there. And I think just getting up before six makes me feel like I'm pushing a little bit at least. And then getting to workouts and the schedule started way earlier in general uh, feels really good. And today's been great because I'm doing this podcast now, but even stuff that has come up earlier in the day, just through email and uh, 
some some collaboration opportunities. Like I had time to actually get into them and move forward, which is really cool. In fact, I have a second Training Peaks article coming out, uh, or it came out today that I'll be announcing pretty dang soon. And hopefully a lot more coming up with them. That's the thing. This is like another work random thing, but people have been asking me about Training Peaks integration and I'll just say we're working on it. Um, yeah, the relationship has gotten really good over there. We're, we're trying to figure this out because that's one thing looking forward to next year. Like I want to be so wildly proud of my product that like I, I feel like that that is the pinnacle of what I do. You know what I mean? Like I want the best thing about Dodd Health to be the product. And I think that the programming is there, but I think that the delivery needs work. And I think that we there's so much to do to improve the product to get, I think the the quality of the actual programming itself up to par with the with how it's delivered. Like it's simple, it's efficient now. In fact, a lot more simple and efficient than I even realized compared to my competitors. Uh, but it, it's again, it's just like so far from where it could be. So I'm sorry, I'm kind of, I didn't even expect to just dump this all out of you guys, but it's a really cool time right now because there's a ton of opportunity. There's, uh, I, I, I've been smart enough this year to consolidate the whole like overhead, the team that like everything to strip it down to bare bones, to get to a healthy place where I can make new decisions and think clearly there's been so much updates with like sponsorships and branding and all this stuff going into next year and different opportunities that I've had to navigate. And I feel like there's been a lot of questions answered where I'm like, Oh, should I go do this? Should I do that? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I'll tell you guys in the last two months, I've said no to two opportunities that I would have killed for a year ago. Literally like not, not literally, but like I, the fact that I had said no to him, I was like, oh, like, where am I to say no to this right now? And that's what uh, made me just realize like how far uh, the the brand has come this year. Like, I think all of the uh, potential chaos I was exposing myself to and all that risk has gotten like mitigated this year, which has been really good. And it's like the healthiest it's ever been. So yeah. Thanks for everybody for the patience. Thanks for the support through dialedhealth.com. Like that is literally why I can do any of this, why I can sit down and record this podcast for free because <laughs> the dialed fam is supporting it. And I really want to support the dialed fam more and more and more. Like I want to connect you guys. I was just talking to uh, Jonathan Lee from Trainer Road about connecting the audience and doing all this stuff. And uh, I'm really lucky to have these people to call on to, to figure out what my next move is. Uh, and in the meantime, be moving as fast as possible. Um, so anyways, that's pretty much it, guys. We're, uh, we're stepping up the schedule. We have exciting new updates on the website that we're working on. Cool sponsors for next year, which we'll be talking about pretty soon. And uh, hopefully a better and better experience for you guys and a new program coming in. Well, I can't say coming in too soon because once we, once we finalize this program with Josh, the four-day a week, we're going to have to film it edit it, get it to the website. It's a freaking process. But uh, I will say so far off season road program has been a hit. I've been doing it. Uh, I just started phase three, uh, which I know you're probably like, oh my gosh, why are you so far ahead? Well, it's because I wrote the program like three months ago. <laughs> um, and I wanted to really like put myself through it. And I go off and I have to do my, you know, all sorts of other stuff. But uh, man, it feels good to be kind of lifting heavy in the off season and see the strength come up and uh, just 
use the program and remember that as much as I love just like weaning a workout and trying new stuff and experimenting, my workouts that I sit down and write and spend a lot of time questioning and building out and periodizing and putting together, they're so much better than when I just wing my workouts. Like literally today I followed, uh, it was like 95% of work of day one from uh, phase three of the road program. And halfway through the first round, I was like, this is the best workout I've done in a while. Like, it's just so nice to have it programmed for you. And uh, anyways, it's like, I'm patting myself on the back, but um, yeah, thank, thanks to everybody. <laughs> There's like no coming around that. I was going to try and excuse it, but it just sounds, I'm just over here talking about myself, uh, trying to make myself feel good about life. But uh, anyways, I hope you guys are having a killer week and uh, really look forward to I guess the next week's episode, I, you know, there's one more thing I want to point out, uh, before I let you go is that the pod. Okay. First off I missed last week. I meant to announce I wasn't going to do a podcast on Thanksgiving week, uh, because mostly because of the thank ride, uh, which by the way, you guys, we had over a hundred riders out. Everyone stayed safe, had an incredible time. We had perfect weather. It was, it was awesome. Like I'm so, so grateful for everybody that came out to that ride and really, really excited to continue this tradition. Um, but I didn't have a podcast for that reason last week. I most likely won't have a podcast the week of Christmas just because it's like everyone's so busy during Christmas. Um, and it feels like a good time with all the family stuff I have going on. Like, dude, we're going to have seven, no, I think more than 17 grandkids or like kids at my house, cousins on the 26th, the day after Christmas. Uh, so we're going to be hosting a lot, a lot of family stuff. Uh, so don't expect one that week, but, um, I think did my mind just go blank? I thought about all these kids last year, like having 20 kids in a room opening presents at the same time was absolute chaos. I'm still a little scarred from it. I literally had to tell all of my in-laws to tell their kids how to put away wrapping paper. Like I sent that in the group text. I was like, just train your kids on how to put away their wrapping paper and not fight each other for toys. Anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you go before I start rambling. Hope you guys have a killer week. Um, I will be back soon <laughs> until then start moving forward.